quote. Yes, and what do you do? I've been looking forward to having a little chat with you. I haven't got time to listen to you, Blazer. Just get on in. What you really need is a maggot, isn't it? I shudder to think what might happen. We'll see no more of those creepy crawlies. You mark my words. Here comes the drums! So here it comes, the sound of drums. Hello, and welcome to Polter Open, a podcast where we watch all of Doctor Who in random order. My name is Chris Taylor. And I'm Pete Paschal. And yes, we're randomly zipping around the universe with the Doctor in our podcast that is bigger on the inside, uh, <laughs> taking part in all of the televised adventures, whatever order the randomizer sees fit. Yes, and we are so close to adding an extra one to the randomizer. It feels like it's been so long to wait to, to add uh, Flux to to our list. but It, it the, doesn't the just in, feel like it. <laughs> it has been. It has been long. A whole six weeks yeah. of waiting to see if it would be one single story, and of course it is. Um, oh, I was counting the months before that too. Which yes, was, it would seem innumerable. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, you know, we've we, we've definitely been uh, distracting ourselves very effectively with with lots of Doctor Who in the interim. Uh, but we'll talk more about Flux next time hmm. uh, on Pull to Open uh, once once yeah. it is finished and and we've all caught up. Yeah, um, we won't we won't officially talk about it as the yeah. episode of the week until it arrives in the randomizer's uh, sites, and there's a lot yeah. to do. But you never know. I mean, the randomizer took us to Day of the Doctor pretty early in our run, so it really you know, did. It does like those epics. It it really does, and there's there's a lot about this one I think that the randomizer will like. But yeah, let's let's save that discussion until yeah. next time. And in the meantime, let's talk about how Paul Twopen has been doing on the socials. It has been doing just fine on the socials. And in, in, in fact, I'm so impressed that uh, we have gotten to 3,000 followers on TikTok. Thank you, TikTokers. Woohoo! Thank it's you, been TikTok. amazing. Great, great stuff. Great engagement. We're putting more videos there than ever. Um, it's really fun. We get good sort of snippets from the podcast. We put them with footage on the show. Lots of debate ensues in the comments, even <laughs> on, on the videos you would not even expect. Um but yes. yeah, they, they certainly have been uh, enjoying the recent ones on the um, oh god, I can't, the God Complex. That oh, was the, the, the oh god complex, as we shall now yeah. refer to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh god, indeed. Yeah, I don't know if you knew, Pete, that that the uh, that what the Doctor saw in his hotel room in the God Complex, which was not revealed during the God Complex. I don't know if you knew that was actually revealed in the time of the Doctor. Um, uh, yeah, but apparently our our TikTok. Uh, followers have uh, many of them have not been shy about pointing that out. Yeah, I, I did know that, and that I very consciously <laughs> tried not to spoil time of the doctor in our just yeah. in case someone was kind of I don't know <laughs> deciding not to uh, watch all of the Doctor Who of a certain era and just basically go only looking at the episodes we were doing yeah. the podcast because of course our 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 super fans who are new yeah. to the show must we'll be doing watch. that they're only watching the episodes we're doing you know um, you know what Pete? the 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 real true pull to open super fan uh would do many things one of them is leave us a review um on on one of the various socials but the other thing is i i think they would put all of their memories of doctor who in a pocket watch and uh you know just sort of 
live as if they were a human being who had never seen any Doctor Who before, other than the episodes that we've watched. So, wow, yeah. that would be amazing. And you know what? <laughs> I want to go in on a startup <laughs> that develops that technology because, oh my, can you can you imagine? You could like re encounter a whole franchise oh my goodness like whether it's doctor who or star trek or marvel or whatever you know narnia i don't know (laughs) franchise it's it's like eternal sunshine of the spotless mind but only for franchises yes i i think the the entertainment world would be totally up for this because uh instead of the constant reboots that we get in in uh the regular movie world we just re-release the old movie you know instead of steven spielberg doing his west side story we'll just release West Side Story, the original, into theaters, and uh, everyone will go, wow, what an amazing film. I got It looks a bit old. This this has to be some kind of (laughs) plot of Torchwood in a future episode. (laughs) Because it's like, get that retcon device, someone commercializes it, turns it into this sort of entertainment reboot thing. I mean... It's just all some grubby, evil Hollywood guy who's behind it, etc. Honestly, that's... makes out with him. Yeah. <laughs> that is that is how it would go down. I mean, that, that would be possibly the most realistic uh episode of Torchwood ever if, if they did that. I mean, it's it really is. It's it's retcon has such applications in the entertainment world. But what do you think hmm. if if you've been if you think that we genuinely had had our memories wiped and we'd just been watching the random episodes so far, I think we'd we'd have generally positive feels about the Doctor Who franchise, but also it would be somewhat confusing. Yeah, I think, I think yeah, I would say so. Um, but it is, like I say, as as we like, there's a lot of these episodes that we've seen that I haven't seen in decades. Yeah, and this one in particular that we're going to do this week, the um, Green Death, is really brought back the Green Death from the John Pertwee era. Um, <laughs> it really brought back, like, wow, I I, I remember seeing this episode. I actually, remember seeing it a few times. And I had a like very different feelings this time around. Like I couldn't, mm. it, it was just like, I'm, you know, as a different person as knowing more about the era sort of generally, I could kind of like, and the world, I, I sort of, a lot of things hit differently, shall we say. It, um, the, the perfect way to put it, the perfect 2021 way to put it. So in other words, like, even if, even if I'd never seen Dr. Who, like, I think this is from a like arm's length point of view, you get uh it's more of a buffet right like you're kind of like yeah. oh i get i get what's going on here it's 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 almost like if you were a historian studying doctor who this is actually a pretty innovative way to go through it yeah it really uh you you become alive to those differences and uh i think mm-hmm. you're absolutely right the the part of the joy of doing this little project is that we we do it does hit different at, at different mm-hmm. ages and we do get to have that comparison uh, oh well, in that case, I mean, I have a pocket watch right here, as uh, YouTube <laughs> viewers can see. I was about to store all my memories in it, but um, but you've you've just convinced me otherwise. So thanks for that. <laughs> um, anyway, yes. Yeah. So, I'm not sure if we came out in front in favor of memory wipes or reboots or but neither. But um, <laughs> either, in either, either case, <laughs> keep following us along, and uh, we'll find out. We'll have a decision by the by the time we reach the three hundredth yes. episode. Yes, please please mention in your review. <laughs> please mention in your review on your favorite podcasting service or app uh, whether you would in fact like us to wipe our memories. Uh, Eternal sunshine slash pocket watch slash retcon style, and uh, we will uh, will endeavor to do so. Yeah, and as you while you're doing that, you know, and if you need some guidance on how many stars to leave, the number five is just popping into my head. It just I yeah. don't know why. 
Um, uh, it's a good number, really. Yeah, I think yeah, a lot of people it, like it. I think Apple likes it and yeah, would love to yeah. send it, put our podcast in front of other people's eyes and ears if you were to yeah. choose that number. So go ahead, um, you know, leave us a review, say some nice things, and we'd love to read it out on the podcast. Yes, help help spread the gospel of Doctor Who and the gospel of randomness. Um, we're, we're, and, we and are in an opening. <laughs> that came out wrong. Sorry. No, uh, sort of. Sort of. Let's just skip that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so previously on Porto Open, we we were at the the God Complex, uh, an extremely short random, <laughs> very random uh, episode. Choose a short stay in a 1980s hotel that turns out to be a space prison for a minotaur, and uh, turns out to be the the last episode in which amy and rory were living aboard the tardis yes um, they they go no home. more space babies for them yeah exactly well that's kind of what would happen after a pregnancy like that you kind of figure that maybe we should move out of the tardis just in case hmm. that should happen again and uh the randomizer in its infinite wisdom took us to the green death which is a genuine companion ending episode well not yeah you put that together ending. too I yeah. was like, yeah, the the going from companion leaving to companion leaving episodes, and it was I found it interesting to sort of contrast those how how you know the classic series handled it and how the new series does and how the Doctor sort of deals with it in both cases. Well, um, it was interesting that that I mentioned last week that it sort of feels like the Doctor kind of you know is constantly alert for signals from his companions about when they're about to leave, and does the does the dumping you first trick. Right. Like, yeah. <laughs> you can't quit the TARDIS. I just fired you. Yeah. Um, you gotta have hand in that in that relationship, <laughs> as they say in Seinfeld. Um, but we should probably, before we get too into our commentary on yeah. the episode, yes. get something over with. And I, I usually <laughs> stall, Chris, but Today it was I, me stalling on your behalf. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate that. <laughs> but it's time, everyone. It's time for TLDW. Too long, Doctor Who. I feel um, like we need a, we need a fanfare at this point. We I do. Mean, and... You know what? Let's let's. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm taking that order. Like we're gonna do something there. We're we're gonna add something to this part at some point uh, soon. But yeah, it's time for one of us to summarize in record time the story. Uh, of uh, the episode of the week, in this case, the mm. Green Death, and it is actually me this week. Yep, <laughs> it is You're stuck with me, pull to open audience, and I have not prepped at all. Actually, I, I genuinely, completely forgot I was going to do this until we started recording, and now I'm like, <laughs> oh, right. And oh boy, it's a long one. Honestly, it's... here's another thing: we when we jumped from God Complex to Green Death, for some reason, I thought this was only four episodes. You know, oh, I, yeah. and I, I started watching it and I got two in and I was like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I think this might be longer than I think. And it is. It's a six episode story. I was not reminded. It, needs to be. <laughs> it does not need to be, nor do a lot of Pertwee stories around about this time. And at some point in our perhaps not too distant future, we will be forced to watch all six episodes of Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Oh, that's right. Which yeah. I never have. I mean, this is, Me we'll, get, we'll get there when we get there. But I, I, I only saw the last five because the first one was only in black and white. And for some reason, when they sold mm. it to Canada and places, they didn't sell it as a whole package, but thought it'd be completely fine to come into a story in episode <laughs> okay. two, which was a bizarre yeah. choice. Like, we'll get it. Like we'd be less thrown 
<laughs> better of his story than if we just saw the first 25 minutes in black and white. I mean, okay. have you ever had that experience, though? I mean, not to derail this or give you a stall for extra time, but have you ever had that experience where if you watch a movie and you've missed the first five or 10 minutes, it immediately becomes kind of a better movie? Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Little, you kind of get up to speed fairly quickly. You go, oh, okay. And you yeah. kind of don't have to sit through what used to be. I think there's less of this now, but long credit sequences. Yeah, but but also <laughs> you sort of your your brain makes up a, a beginning to the film, which is invariably better than the actual beginning. And I'm I'm sure that's what your brain was doing with Invasion of the Dinosaurs, which I also have not seen. But uh, you know, a legend comes down to us from other travelers who have been that way that it's <laughs> not a particularly good story. So uh, yeah, look forward to to yeah, we'll get those we'll six there. parts. But Thank the you rules for are, for me again. You're welcome. <laughs> the rules of TLDW are that you get uh, roughly 30 seconds per per old classic episode, or you know, 30, yeah, 25 minutes of the new show. Um, and uh, so that means that for the Green Death being six episodes, Pete Pichel, you have acres of time. You have three minutes in which to summarize this oh Pertwee per story. And I'm going to try. Yeah. It's okay. You know what? I might even end it super early. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just maggots. Because I, yeah. Maggots. That's no, the one end. word. Um, maggots. I could do it. I'm not, I, that's a pretty good ripcord I could pull on, but I, I think I'm going to go for a little bit more. Um, okay. All right. You ready for okay, this? I'm, I'm, I'm so ready for this. And I'm so either confident or not confident in my abilities that I've, I've disappeared everything. I've even disappeared. The, wow. the, the Zencaster window. Like, I'm looking at a blank <laughs> screen right now, and I'm just like, okay, we're going to do this. Your mind is a blank. This is perfect. All right, All right ready. Three, ready. two, one, go. Okay, so there's uh, this town called Lanfairfax in South Wales, and there's a company called Global Chemicals, and they are claiming that they have uh, perfected some way to uh, get more oil with virtually no pollution, but it's not true. They're pumping pollution down into this old mine, and it's actually anyone who goes down there and touches the stuff, they turn green, and they're also it's, it's turning maggots down there into giant maggots, but no one really knows because they're underground. So the doctor and unit are, are called to investigate this stuff. But the doctor wants to go off the Metabilis 3 because he's been dying to do that because he hasn't had the TARDIS working in so long. So he does that. Even though he nearly dies, he comes back with a blue crystal while Joe Grant and the brigadier go and investigate. And they, they find this weird stuff. Uh, the doctor eventually sort of comes to join them. And what they realize is uh, that not only is is Global Chemicals doing this, they're planning to extend their influence through the world um, with all these sort of other locations and, mm -hmm. you know, kind of enslave people and, and turn, you know, basically in the name of efficiency of Global Chemicals, uh, kind of take over the world or, or parts of it. And so... Because they need the, the, the why are they doing that? It's because of a computer. There's a computer that's actually running the whole company and has starting to poison the minds of everyone. It's programmed only for efficiency and it's kind of gotten corrupted. So it's trying to do this, but um, you know, the, at every turn they are uh, put put uh, roadblocks in front of them. So like they try to get the um, the the prime minister to intervene, but the the actual the the guy. Uh, the, has actually more political clout, the CEO of Global Chemicals, than the brigadier even. And so they can't do that. So what they try to do is blow up the mine where bad things are happening. Uh, but that doesn't work. 
that that you know they wanted to bury all the chemicals. What happens is all the maggots crawl out of the ground, and now it's an even bigger problem because they're bulletproof and they're actually explosive proof, uh, and they actually start to hatch and they turn into this giant Terminate. insect. Only one happens does that, but uh, they kill that insect and they figure out a way to kill the. Uh, uh, maggots by with this fungus, which has actually been developed as a nutritional supplement by uh, uh, a group of what they call uh, sort of the nut hutch. It's these sort of uh, hippie type counterculture people who are trying to develop sort of alternative food and, and alternative energy. It's sort of like this different, uh, uh, you know, this this opposite of global Too chemicals, frankly. And uh, they they figure out that, that the fungus kills the maggots, so the, all the maggots are dead. The doctor infiltrates Global Chemicals and uh, gets in there and <clears throat> convinces Stevens to actually work against the computer, which is actually called the boss and sort of a ironic uh, uh, joke. And at the end, at the end, Stevens turns against the boss, blows up Global Chemicals, thwarting their plan to uh, take over the world. And Joe Grant leaves to marry the head of the Nut Hutch. Wow, you did it. You did it. You oh did my it. God. Just, I think I got it. I think you got it there. Uh, given given the acres of time you had, that, that was that was pretty good. So congratulations. Woo! Oh, you, yeah. are, you are this week's winner. Uh, I did. You, well, what you, I, what I, yeah, my, my secret this week was I just didn't care about the order of anything. Like, <laughs> yes. like, honestly, like I was just like, I'm just, I, it doesn't matter when it happens in the story. I'm just going to say it. When it and so it's like, boom. So that yeah, is definitely definitely the way to do it. Definitely the way to do it. Uh, you, your prize is an unconvincing maggot. Uh, <laughs> hey, um, hey, don't go hey. so hard on the maggots. I thought a the maggots mag- were cool. A maggot maquette. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's sort of it's that's the other interesting reason why it was, it, it was curious that we came here from the God Complex because one of our biggest complaints about the God Complex was that nothing in it is particularly scary, right? Yeah, got, true. The dummies aren't particularly scary. The clowns isn't particularly scary. The weeping angels are sort of neutered by being holograms, et cetera, et cetera. And what we got here is that the maggots, when you actually see the puppet versions, when you see them mm-hmm. at a distance and it's actual maggots that you're like, ooh, gross. But up yeah. close, they're possibly one of the cutest uh, Doctor <laughs> Who monsters ever to grace the screen. You just want but, to cradle them. Oh, you kind of do. They've got these little, little maggots. Yeah. <laughs> they're just i mean <clears throat> but they got that hits yeah that's the other thing <laughs> yeah they, they open their tiny little mouths and they go oh yeah. you just want to oh you're adorable <laughs> and then you you turn into this weird Scratch fly here. yeah yeah oh cute maggots so just yeah it's a, it's a shame they ever grow up isn't it yeah well it is definitely the thing this story is known for everyone the one with the maggots <laughs> right and they're they're constantly in it, and they're constantly look done. There's this source of peril from mm. the cliffhanger of episode one. In fact, there's like two or three like maggot cliffhangers because there's like <laughs> the maggot cliffhanger at the end of episode one where they see them, um, and then there's the one where it's about to jump Joe, and there I think there's one mm-hmm. more, um, and they're really like even as a story element inflated beyond anything like oh yeah like it's almost like someone just more maggots more maggots and they got to be more fearsome and more formidable they can't be shot they can't be blown up insecticides don't work i mean it's like oh my god these are the most formidable insane maggots or any creature there's ever lived right i mean the dollars are going to want to research these things (laughs) really and they and they just sort of sit there 
just not, sort of said, not doing much. They wiggle. And, I love how they yeah. wiggle around and like, all right, I'm going to go across the room. It might take me a few minutes, guys. I'm, I'm a threat, really. I really am. But I'm, <laughs> I'm going to come and bite you. And but hold on, it'll take a minute. <laughs> yes. Stay right there. I got to got to sneak up on you. I got to you know leave a trail of green slime. Sometimes. And, Sometimes a trail of green the trail slime. goes cold, and uh, well, I don't know, but I, I know we don't. We t- we, we'll talk about the fly too. But I mean, the, mm. it's funny that the maggots are these super formidable things that you can't destroy, and the doctor mm. kills the fly, the giant fly with his cape. Yep, <laughs> like it's all it takes. Throw the cape up, hits it. Up, oh, dead. All right. Yeah, that was that was the uh, possibly the lamest resolution to a to a cliffhanger uh, that yeah. I've seen in, in Who history, and and there's kind of so. My my initial reaction to the Green Death, seeing it for the first time, is that this is really it's two stories. Um, one one is a story about the nut the nut hutch, which I love right. saying in a Welsh accent, the nut hutch, uh, and <laughs> and global versus global chemicals. And you don't necessarily need more than that, right? You know, nut hutch, global chemicals. Maybe maybe you can still keep the Green Death part. You know, people are still getting infected. Whatever. You know, miners start dying, but they're expendable. That's a that's a good solid Doctor Who story, right? And then you've got the maggots, and everything to do with the maggots in this story is just hilarious. And the the, the <laughs> one example that jumps out to me is that there's a line where a unit soldier says, "Well, they're all over the place," and you immediately cut to the doctor getting off the phone, <laughs> saying, <laughs> saying to Joe, "Well, they're all over the place." <laughs> and <laughs> this was the point but it was a sort of interesting timing for my wife to actually join me on the couch to watch the green death which she had never seen before either and she started laughing so hard at that cut that <laughs> <laughs> we had to pause the episode while we just both collapse into fits of giggles it is rare that, that doctor who does that it's rare that doctor who does that unintentionally uh but just it, it sort of creeps right up to the line of self-parody in some of these maggot uh, story scenes. Yeah, there's some lines that are... Um, I, I can't tell if that one... Like, like, I mean, it's, it's sort of obviously intended to be clever, not necessarily like, like super <laughs> hilarious and dumb. But there's, a, there's another line that I thought was probably one of the worst lines I've ever heard. Certainly the worst line mm. I think Nicholas Courtney has uttered in, as the brigadier. And... It's when they um, blow up the mine, I believe, right after. And he's basically like, we'll see no more of those creepy crawlies. You mark my words. <laughs> <laughs> and they even they play some kind of weird, like, it's almost like sad trambo- trombone music right after. Like, <laughs> like I mean, you're kind of like, okay. Yeah, this Was is... that supposed to be, like, really? Like, I was supposed to never not take you it's, seriously? It's... I, I, it's Weird heavy choice. irony, Pete. It's heavy irony. It may be, it may, <laughs> it may have flown over our heads. I don't know. Because uh, actually, the maggots are back, and we do see them again. And the doctor mm. doesn't tell the brigadier that he's wrong and uh, was full of it. it. It's really not a great episode for the brigadier. Not a great story for the brigadier, is it? In in general, no. he is revealed to be something of a of a dupe, of an idiot. Um, doesn't yeah. have much sway within global chemicals. He's sort of sitting on like even just that sort of the whole thing, which you feel was introduced into the story to pad it out where they have to get cutting equipment to cut the cable right. so that they can get down into the mine shaft to save Joe and Bert. Uh, but by the way, very, very, 
very handsy with Joe. Very handsy yeah. moment. Well, sort she of saved. He was sweet, though. Yeah, he was sweet, and he <laughs> called her a nickname. Uh, so it's all okay, and he dies in the end. So it's fine, <laughs> but does not need to be me tooed. Um, Doctor Who reflects the values of the time, Chris, as we've learned from our disclaimer in front of the talents of Wang Chang. <laughs> Indeed, it does, and and uh, not much more so than in this episode. Although you know the the nut hutch is kind of you know uh, you know we're, we're still sort of in this search for plant-based food which is we'll, we'll get to that um, well i hear you a bit on the brigadier i don't know if it's that bad but i mean i think it's pretty one bad. thing it um it's pretty bad but i actually like the scene where he and stevens try to big dog each other politically mm, mm-hmm. and they're both like you know i have fat powerful friends well so do i well let's put our cards on the table bro and let's see who wins and then stevens wins but yeah. The Brigadier, um, even though it's not him, like he's wily. And I, I do really like that they send in Yates. And it's a, mm. it's probably, in my view, I think uh, the best Yates episode. He's he's quite effective, even though he is mind-controlled for a bit there. Mm. Um, he gets some good scenes to sort of help the Doctor. And when he's infiltrating the place, they do overuse... They, they use it twice, but it's one at least once too many where he shoves people into an elevator... Essentially, there's like two scenes where he escapes somehow from someone by by leaving them in the elevator. And I was like, okay, that's, you know, learn some new moves, Mike. I mean, Mike Gates, (laughs) cut, cut price James Bond in this episode he's i mean you know he's he's kind of he's quite a suave uh but but the real the real issue with mike yates i'll get back to the brigadier because i do want to say more things about him but uh poor mike yates it's sort of hinted throughout the series uh the the actual tv series i know that you know in 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 the audios we sort of get get the sense that he was actually in the closet all this time but right. it's hinted throughout the series that he's he's been dating joe um mm. And we certainly remember that from Terror of the Autons. He tried to pick Joe up with his clever, yeah, you know, co- cocoa from a tin trick, um, which <laughs> awakens the Autons. We all, we all remember that one, that that classy move. Um, it's a good move. It really is. <laughs> it's in my repertoire. I don't know about you, but powdered cocoa from a tin always no, gets the as ladies. Long as it's something hot. <laughs> something hot from a tin. Um, yeah, so, so Mike Yates, the that you see a tiny look of disappointment at the end as Joe's yeah. engagement to Professor Jones is announced. Um, well, uh, and did you notice I he think... like he shakes um, uh, Cliff Cliff's hands yeah. first before he hugs Joe? Yeah. Did you notice that? That was like, yeah. was like a weird choice, and it's like it, they announced they're they're getting married, and he like they're, they're both in front of him. And he just mm-hmm. turns right to, <laughs> he's the first, he's the, mm. he's the guy closest to them. And he's like, he turns to Cliff. It's like, oh, congrats. He's like, you know. yes. E- either that sort of uh, patriarchy in action, um, you congratulate the man. Right. You could see it that way. Engagement first. Or or it's that, that Mike really wanted Cliff yeah. for himself. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I think that's. Hard to know. Yeah. Canonically, yeah. it's hard to know. Yeah. Um, I will but say, I, 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 I don't want to get too subtle. distracted. Super on uh, on Yates mm-hmm. and what happens at the end, but I will say I didn't like the proposal itself, just because it was yeah. like almost like this trick into getting her to agree to marry him. Which I'm like, ah, I get, I get, he's cute, I get, she likes him, mm. but I'm also like, I don't know, I, this is this is me and just my personal preference. I'm just like, I'm more of a like step up man kind of guy. Yes. Like, where I just yeah, like, he, he he does. For those who haven't seen it, uh, Professor Cliff Jones, Nobel Prize winner. 
Mm -hmm. but we're never told which Nobel Prize it is. Um, uh, proposes to Joe by saying, "Well, you know, we're, we're going. They're going down the Amazon to search for this toadstool that is high protein, is is going to, you know, solve the world food crisis." Uh, and and then he's like, he just sort of slips in, and of course, we'll get married along the way, which again, patriarchal. Just sort of like assume that, throw that in there, not even ask. Uh, mm -hmm. it is, that's the thing; he's not even popping a question. Yeah. Um, and he has already, you know, when before he got sick and kind of forced Joe into sympathizing with, with him, he was asking her to make the coffee. <laughs> hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. <laughs> yeah, okay, that's true. Like I, yeah. I'm not going to so, fault for getting sick, but the coffee bit is bad. And honestly, like, I mean, we, sh we should probably get back to the burger at some point. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's finish that off because I have more to say about this being a Joe episode. It obviously is because yeah. it's her last one. And they, I think it's probably why it's six episodes. They decided <laughs> like, well, for Katie's last ser series, we're going to, yeah. we're going to step it up. But like, yeah, we're, we're going to give her six episodes and not give her agency in any of them. Yeah. One thing I will uh, say about the Brigadier, I like his fashion. Yeah. He's, mm -hmm. he's in suits. He's actually in a tux at one point when he's having dinner, I believe in the nut hutch, which is a weird. Yes. Choice. He um, wears a tux to have dinner with hippies. It's fantastic. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it's fantastic. And it's like, I don't know. I guess they're trying to again contrast like his old traditional Britain sense with everyone, but he's so won over. He likes the the organic wine they're serving, and he's convinced the the fungus is meat. And by the way, yes. way to go, Cliff, on founding Impossible Foods forty years early, <laughs> which was impressive. I actually uh, think Cliff is more Cliff is more Paul Stamets, uh, if uh, you know who that is. He's kind of the he's the, the beyond king. Guy? He's no, he's the king of mushroom research, oh. and uh, I've written yeah. written feature about him. He sort of believes that mushrooms can save the planet, not just psilocybin, which is a big part of his research. Well, you wrote a feature uh, on that. Love it. Send me the link, man. I'll, read yeah, it. I'll, yeah, I'll put it in yeah. the show notes. Do you know the mushroom man? Was the headline? Um, and uh, <laughs> a had a fabulous time with Paul Stamets. That was okay. my headline. Oh, that's good. <laughs> it's Chris Taylor classic. Um, but I feel uh, like no, he. Had some input, but never mind. <laughs> yeah, he Paul Stamets, by the way, another another Star Trek connection because it was he gave his name to a Star Trek character. Uh, we're getting way off topic here, but yeah, he yeah. he believes that mushrooms can feed the world, save the world, clean up oil spills. You know, there there are so many amazing things that mushrooms can do. So, uh, and he was active in his research in the seventies. So, I sort of feel like it's it's very unlikely that uh, Professor Cliff is based on Paul Stamets, but that's perhaps the best real world analog. Uh, but yeah, I, I, guys, maybe he maybe that guy saw the Green Death. Yeah. <laughs> I was all like, "Wow, this is a good career choice." <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, okay, but to finish my thought on the Brigadier, I I think this is not a good Brigadier story because mm -hmm. remember Terror of the Autons. Remember sure. his stupid blundering move to try and destroy the Master and and the Autons when the Master is in that uh, that van where he's got the Doctor hostage. And I believe Joe hostage okay. in the van. The brigadier calls in an RAF strike, 
there. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. What does he do now with the maggots threatening this completely blighted quarry? Uh, causing uh-huh. an RAF strike. Which, by the way, they didn't have the budget for actual planes, so the RAF strike is just a helicopter. With right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> with a bloke throwing like bath bombs out of it or something. It's like so ineffective. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, yeah, <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> but it's also like I found like really even like high explosives aren't destroying these maggots. I mean, come on. Like, what are you talking about? That's like, there's got to be like they kind of really stretched the limits of credulity in, in my yeah. view on like these things being. Uh, resilient to anything like um, the you know the, the other thing is that it's it's um, they're totally earth earth grown right this is one of these interesting episodes where the, the whole threat there's no alien mm. threat yeah. it's all it's all uh, just the chemicals and the the mutations and it's it's sort of similar to the arachnids in the UK in that way yeah in that it's they, just doing that and so like I, I just find it super hard to believe that wait some kind of bulletproof armor plated uh, maggot came out of just like green stuff. That just well, seems... it's yeah. it's definitely a metaphor, right? I mean, the maggots are kind of the, the British Godzilla, if you right. will, which seems very appropriate. It's like, yeah, they, the Japanese could build God, Godzilla, and the British just were just oh, slightly larger maggots. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be our, you know, synonym for for chemical waste. Our our way to process what's happened to our blighted environment. Uh, yeah, and it just but to go back to the Brigadier, it's like he he seems to have such immunity in Doctor Who stories. Like they just sort of assume we'll we'll like the Brigadier, or whatever, no matter what pig-headed, mm-hmm. dumb decision he makes. And he seems to be forever kind of looking at a stopwatch, like, well, you've got you've got one minute, Doctor, before I blow this place to hell. I mean, right. these these days he would be seen as as the villain of the piece. He'd be the the dumb soldier. But back then, you know, it's just sort of accepted that he's, oh, that's just the Brigadier. He's just going to blow stuff up all the time without yeah. considering alternate practices. I mean, well, you, I guess, you, could, yeah. you could kind of throw it, you, you could you could have the Brig calling in a nuclear strike at the end of the episode. <laughs> and the Doctor would just be, oh, that's, oh, Brigadier. He'd kind of wag his brigadier. finger at him like, oh, when will you learn? Don't those ghosts of all the Silurians who bother you every night, don't they talk sense <laughs> into you? No, um, the yeah. I mean, I guess my point was like it seems totally reasonable to me to call it an airstrike. Frankly, like I mean, like there's all these maggots. Like, okay, it's a huge problem. Like, I don't necessarily think you need massive bombs to come down, but like, you know, with more budget, like hazmat suits and flamethrowers seem like a pretty good idea. <laughs> might you know, be like, in other words, I've, yeah, I just feel like brute force might be like I I would try that. Uh, yeah, try, try, poison. try a ground-based solution first, yeah. maybe instead of calling in an airstrike. With like, you're trying to hit maggots from the sky. <laughs> you're not going to have pinpoint accuracy. Certainly not, not in the seventies, and not if you're just dropping stuff from a helicopter because the rest of the RAF was busy that day. Um, I will say, like when they switch from a lot of indoor studio shooting, like at the Nut Hutch and Global Chemicals. Mm-hmm. And this just happens around like episode three or four, and there is much more location stuff where all the unit guys are in uniform. Uh, it all, really felt to me like those were filmed at different times. Like I, I actually mm. think even Nick Courtney looked a little bit slimmer, and this might be just the effect <laughs> of the fatigues. But 
he, he really looked different. Like I was like, oh wow, like he put on the uniform and he's like a different guy. And mm. like he before he was like in these suits and he just you know I was a little this, like this, he almost looked like the brigadier from Modern Undead for in a couple of those scenes. You're not you're not wrong, and it's I mean of course it was like less than than ten years between between those uh, stories right. when you think about it, like not not that yeah, long this at was seventy three. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It was it was uh, spring seventy three is when it was broadcast. Yeah, there you go. So it's uh, you know years. we're in the same season as the three doctors oh, here. Not ten years, um, uh, seven years. Excuse me, seven years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something like um, that. No, well, no more. Well, I don't know. Was it eighty three? Was it eighty three? It was eighty two or eighty three. It was eighty three because it was yeah. wasn't it the anniversary year? Yes, that's right. Yes. It, was, it was the yeah. Okay, and then the, I remember the gap because Queen Silver Jubilee. Okay, I got it all right. Yeah, it was eighty three. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, did but you, did actually, you catch the brigadier drives a Mercedes? Very, very fancy. Did you see I that? Mean, How does he afford I, that? On a, on I like don't know. Gallery. What was the car that he has in Modern Undead? Oh, it was some kind of classic car. Yeah. Uh, yeah it was a little like Bessie, come to think of yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Brick, the brick loves Brick. his cars. I tell that you. That could be it. Maybe he's just, you know, an enthusiast and saves up and comes from money. He does, did he does you a know? bit of an aristocratic. Sometimes, so. he he really he really does. I think I think Briggs got some sort of uh, trust fund locked away somewhere. Mm. But speaking of the seventies and the eighties and the classic unit dating controversy, mm-hmm. which we know our viewers and uh, fans love so much, uh, there is more here to to uh, suggest that this story is taking place in nineteen eighty. Oh yes, I don't know if you knew this. Yes, you you really have to zoom in to find out. But there is a calendar in the guards' hut at the entrance to Global Chemicals that shows that it's that the, it, it a year. It is a year with February the 29th, so it's a leap year. So oh, it could wow. only be seventy six or eighty, which are both leap years. And okay. then I believe in Stephen's office in Global Chemicals, there's another calendar uh, on which you can see a date that only took place in 1980. Only took place in 1980. Yes, or at least well, in that uh, era, it, I guess. In that within, the, yeah. yeah, in it's that period, with it being a leap year, you know, you, you had to really zoom in. But of course, the, okay. the fine folks at Doctor Who magazine have done this for us, um, <laughs> suggesting that this story takes place in 1980. And of course, this is the story immediately preceding Sarah Jane Smith's arrival oh, in Doctor okay. Who, Who, and as she, we know. Yes, from Pyramids of Mars, mm-hmm. uh, another tangentially related unit story. And um, if you look if you pull to open, uh, code, it's not the Codex, it's our library, I guess. We've got to find a name for it. But yeah, yep. if you go back to one of uh, pre- episode we did previously this season, uh, we did that a while back, so check it out. One of our most popular TikToks, in fact, was was talking about the the dating controversy and about the the evidence that it's actually 1980 and the other ways of making this all make sense. But I did not know that it was it was embedded right there in the Green Death. And obviously, I, I, I mean, I I don't think that like Barry Letts was was inserting this stuff or you know any, anyone knew anything or they were doing anything like the the kind of long term long game stuff that happens with New Who. Well, it's not, uh, it's not they did it like a 1980 calendar. It's just that they, yeah. these two calendars only reconcile to that, right? So yes. I don't, but I do think, you know, the, the, it feels a bit near future. Uh, I'll just sort of say that as sort of evidence mm. that it's probably later in that, you know, you have this global chemicals corporation. Um, there's a lot of, I don't know, power suit type stuff and just the computer, yeah. right? The computer itself and the existence of that, it's clearly like, okay, well, let's, let's, presume like, you know, the big bad computer 
from 10, 20 years from now, which, you know, everyone, I mean, this is, this is constantly a trope um, in the sixties and the seventies. I mean, throughout the eighties, if you think about Skynet and yeah. So yeah, (laughs) like uh, the, the boss, the boss, uh, what what does boss stand for again? Biomorphic organizational systems supervisor. Wow. It is an acronym that I actually memorized. I thought it was, I don't know if I thought it was clever or hilarious when I saw it, but I just thought, boss that sounds that just sort of sounds cool and i i remember uh there was a job i had after college and i had a computer and i named it was a mac and i named my hard drive boss, boss. and someone once organized asked me what that means and i actually rattled off the acronym and he was like wow like obviously like you're a weirdo <laughs> that's that's very impressive i thought but it was going to stump you with that one but yeah. You no, the test. no, I, I've, I've, that's been in my head for like, you know, you think about <laughs> useless things that stick in your head that is since uh, literally uh, since I first saw this episode of the eighties. Yeah. It's, I do love boss. We should talk about boss. Yeah. He's, he's a wonderful computer because he kind of goes a little bit nuts at the end. Totally. Uh, he's a little bit distracted by classical music. Mm. Uh, he, he says something like, should, should we, do we dare, the ninth, like referring to Beethoven's ninth, uh, which may be a reference for many viewers of the recently released uh, Clockwork Orange, mm. uh, in which the you know the the, the lead Droog, played by Malcolm McDowell, is a big fan of Beethoven, uh, and particularly the ninth. So it's it's interesting. So so the the origin story of Boss is that he has been programmed with inefficiency. In, in his mind, even though right. efficiency is the watchword of global chemicals, but the computer realized that humans are inefficient and yet they, they seem to do all right. They seem to be, you know, conscious uh, for one thing. They seem to be self-aware. So he gets Stevens to program him with inefficiency and that's how he becomes self-aware. And so he's got this weird inefficient thing going on where he's talking about classical music and about which classical music should announce his, I guess, takeover of the planet. Although it's, again, it's not quite sure what, yeah not quite obvious what his evil plot is but he just gets distracted by the music side of it which is wonderful it's such Mm. a great little quirk of his character that really brings him to life makes him a great big bad and i kind of sad that we that we never saw him again yeah i agree bro the boss is very memorable and even though it kind of makes no sense and it's his origin i mean it's doctor who not everything makes Mm. sense but i mean I, I did kind of, it, it leaves you wanting, which I think is probably a good thing in this case. Like I kind of wanted to know a little bit more about his origins and a little bit more about how it's behavior. Cause I think you get, like you say, you get a taste of why he, why it, I guess is hmm. behaving in this way. Cause it's totally unexpected, especially at the time. Like computers were like, hello, I'm working, mm-hmm. you know, like that, that was kind of what you'd expect these sort of big computers to be. And he's singing and, I like there's this good lines like when Stevens and I love the contrast at the end where Stevens mm. is the now focused, efficient, you know, cold thing. And the computer's like dancing, like doing the equivalent of dancing around and being goofy. Yeah. Uh, he says like, you're unkind Stevens, you know, when he's trying to like smack him around and you're like, Oh, okay. He's got, you know, he knows how he knows how to banter too. Um, he really does. Yeah. And it's it's sort of a shame that he's... So Boss is only introduced at the end of episode four, I believe. 
right? It's pretty right. late no, in the proceedings. Three, I forget. It's but yes, it, it takes a I while. Think it's, I think it's four because four is the episode that verges on self-parody. That's the one where you've got the you know, well, they're all over the place line. It's also the one where you got Pertwee doing his Those uh, disguises. His disguises. Yes. He, he gains entry to Global Chemicals for the second time by disguising himself as a milkman, um, and sort of boring the guard. Right. Uh, at the gate with his Welsh impersonation. Actually, not that great a Welsh accent, John Pertwee. <laughs> it was pretty um, bad. I, mean, I don't know if it's consciously bad, bad though. Maybe. <laughs> I must die. But it's like, uh, <laughs> I must die, yes. 30 years in the business. So I have. Um, yeah, it's pretty bad. Um, and, th- and then, as the cleaning lady, Doris. Yes. <laughs> And it, it, it leads to a, a, a very funny exchange between him and Yates. I mean, it's a little bit forced, but it is like you you can tell the actors are having so much fun in that moment. Mm. And you're kind of right there with him. And um, I, I will say, like, the there really isn't much of a downside to that. Like, it's just it's fun. But it is like it does. It's an indicator of just how familiar like the cast is and we are and that they're like and how familiar the show is honestly at this point with the viewers that it feels like it has license to have this kind of fun and it yeah. really is a sort of an indicator a reboot is kind of should should be coming soon guys and then of course it <laughs> did follow like yeah. the, the next year with a new companion and then the following year with a new doctor so mm. that was that was all to the good apparently that line so so if you haven't seen it um Mikey Yates comments on the the doctor is carrying a bucket in his disguise as a cleaning lady, and Mikey Yates says something like, I like your handbag, and the doctor whacks him with it. Um, and there's another funny line in there. That was apparently all ad libbed on the <laughs> it set. It seems is, that way, but it also yeah. seems like, in a good way, like I'm not knocking it. It's like they're having fun. It's, it's very British Music Hall, it's very Pertwee. And it is sort of weird that like Pertwee took four years to kind of get to the point where he's just like, screw it. I'm going to be manic and zany and have lots of different costumes. I will say Pertwee's performance in this throughout, I was, I really liked, I thought he was great. Mm. Um, Like even, even when he was being silly in episode four, it wasn't like, Oh God, what was the episode where he was, it was Harry Oz. Yeah. Where he was really hamming up the the telephone cord. I was like, all right, he kind of gets a second stab at that when he's on metabolus three when there's a lot of physical not quite comedy but it is kind of played for laughs a bit because it's metabolus three ends up being like this insanely hostile environment and you're not even sure what half the stuff is it's like tentacles and feet like claws like it's like some giant giant bird or something and like just all this stuff comes at him and he's all he has almost he all he comes very close to that goofy look when that one yeah. vine or something hits him at the beginning but he doesn't go over the top and i think yeah it all kind of works and it's fun he comes back and he has the line like on the phone i'll talk to anybody you know which is you know, a good little capper <laughs> for the whole sequence. But I mean, that's the beginning of this. And then throughout, he's he's just kind of, um, he, he he sells it. Like, I, I, yeah. I particularly liked his conversation with the boss. Uh, he has a couple of mm. them, but like when he first encounters him. And it's if you think about it, it's Pertwee talking to a room, you know? Yeah. And I'm sure someone was, you know, off to the side and they were doing the lines, but it was like, um, he's, he's very much like got good dialogue. He talks, you know, there's the little line where he says, you're talking about freedom from freedom, you know, like, and mm. so there's a little bit of repartee there. And of course, you know, then later when Joe leaves, 
Um, it's you know you really feel it. There's a lot of there's a lot of good a game coming from Pertwee throughout this episode. So I've got to give him really really top marks. There really is, and he has he sells that line about using a paradox. He basically uses a par- uses a paradox to slow down, not quite destroy the computer, right? But certainly to slow down the evil plot. If you ever uh, encounter a computer in the 60s or the 70s, <laughs> give them a logical paradox. They will either get jammed up for a while or blow up. So yeah, you, you do expect smoke one to start. Up. Smoke starts leaking from the uh, from the tape to tape reels that this computer is still using. Uh, yeah, it's in so Metabulous Three. Uh, we should talk about yeah. this. It it as a side quest, and the way it's filmed as a side quest. Uh, it's kind of weird. It's kind of, it's very new who, you know, this this idea that we're just going to follow the doctor for five minutes on this, on this random planet that he's off to visit. Uh, and all you need to know is that he comes back with a crystal. It's, it's sort of feel, it feels Moffaty in the sense that you, you've just burned an entire adventure in five minutes. (laughs) (laughs) It does. Uh, does. I hadn't thought about that way, but you're right. And, and the crystal is a result. And of course, the crystal becomes very useful in the plot. He uses it to break Mike Yates's programming and eventually to break Stephen's programming. Uh, it's, you know, look into the eyes of this crystal. And you get this sort of wonderful, almost Kubrickian scenes, like people being deprogrammed by the crystal, right? Where it kind of goes into kind of weird David Bowie video visuals. Right. <laughs> uh, and uh, it was just fantastic. And that's the kind of thing you can't, replicate from from the classic who era now is like those those kind of techniques those early right. special effects that are actually a little bit scary because you never really see them you know they're, mm-hmm. they're unusual i love the crystal stuff and i also love that the crystal is a setup for the last pertwee story right. and again we very unlikely that this was planned although robert slocum did write both the green death and planet of spiders but Joe sends the crystal back, and I actually had to go watch watch the episode, uh, the first episode of Planet of Spiders, to see the Doctor receives a a package from Joe in the Amazon. Is like, hey, take this crystal back, you know. Uh, the the, uh, the our guides, like yes, our native our native say it's bad magic, it's bad juju, man. Um, <laughs> yeah, very seventies. Um, but yeah, so it's kind of again, you're almost getting a kind of a new Who story arc with this crystal uh, yeah. that, that goes over many goes into the next season. Right. It's almost you kind like, of almost feel like though he, he wrote himself into a corner. Like he didn't know he was going to mm. bring the crystal back. And then it's like, Oh, we got to mm. bring it back. Cause that would be good for this thing. Well, he gave it to Joe. <laughs> yep. say that, like we're going to have to, well, you just write a thing. She sends it back to him. I guess. All right, fine. But and, and, how, how great is that? That the doctor gets mail from an old companion. I, right. I really think that we we need to see that more. It's also very interesting. You see at the end, uh, Joe is like the doctor's like, "Save me a piece of wedding cake." First of right. all, he's not even going to the wedding. What an asshole! Yeah. Uh, he he could totally take time out. He could stepped out of that door and gone to the wedding right then. Get right. it out of the way. Get it over with. Just show up, man. Um, so he says, save, save a piece of wedding cake. And, and Joe is like, you'll come back and visit, right? And the doctor kind of not like a little noncommittally, but he nods. <laughs> and of course, we know the doctor's never going to do that. You kind of like turn to camera. I'm not coming to visit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. like, you kind of expect that. Yeah. So it's funny. Like, um, so Joe, like, here's the thing about Joe. And I think we should talk, spend some time talking about mm-hmm. this being Joe's final episode and also a Joe yeah. episode in that. Yeah. The 
the actual leaving scene, in my view, does not come in episode six. I think mm. the leaving scene is in episode one, where the doctor essentially says, look, let's go to Metabilis 3. Like, and he's kind of like, well, I'm Fairfax unit. Like, screw it. Like, what, we have the entire universe and actually <laughs> all of time to explore. Yep. And he, he actually says exactly that or something worse to that effect. I, I'm giving, I can give you all the time in the world and, and all the space, which is a weird uh, second clause. But, you know, mm-hmm. we know what he means. And she turns him down. Yeah, and she's like, "I'm. Uh, this matters to me. This is my, you know, Earth is my home, and this is close to home, and there's this stuff that I care about, and I'm gonna go to Land Fairfax and try to fix what's wrong there." Which is and, why it's sort of it's super interesting that it then becomes you know a a Doctor Light episode, right? It then Metabolis the then just becomes a side quest. It's as if the show itself is saying, "No, sorry, Doctor, on your own, you're not, you're just not that interesting." Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. That's that's a good point. Um, yeah, with Joe um, sort of ditching him, so that that's kind of the leaving scene in my view. And I think that the end mm. is kind of more of a coda um, that that is just you know it's wistful, it's goodbye, and he kind of, he's kind of been trying to fight this throughout the episode and hoping she changes her mind. But mm. uh, obviously, her deepening relationship with Cliff. Uh, seals it but even though he tries to roadblock that he really totally tries to like grab does out of there and like oh my goodness yeah cliff and joe are having a romantic interlude by the fire Mm. and it is clearly about to go places and the doctor walks in and he immediately clocks what's going on which is kind of smart for the doctor doesn't always get this about human relationships (laughs) right he's supposed to be sexless in classic who uh, but he gets it, he sees it, and he immediately, I, I want to invent a new word here, he, he dock blocks the uh, the professor. <laughs> he dock blocks him. I love he fully it. dock blocks him. He's like, uh, Professor Jones, I wonder if you can come see this thing on my microscope right now, sir. Unhand yeah. my assistant, man. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, wow. <laughs> Poor Joe. Or Joe. And Just, so yeah. one more thing, which is, uh, I think it's an interesting randomizer uh, juxtaposition that it's done here, which is taking us from Amy and Rory leaving to mm. Joe leaving. Mm. And both um, involve a marriage. So, mm. and this actually, I believe it even came up when the only televised appearance of Joe Grant after this is in the Sarah Jane Adventures. Yes. And she, I think the, it's mentioned that the doctor's current companions are married, and she, I think just Joe said words to the effect of, I didn't know you could do that. <laughs> I, I, I might have like stayed with you, like we might have had some fun with Cliff in the TARDIS. Uh, although you kind of get the sense Pertry would not put up with that. Um, yeah, but it's really, funny. yeah, it is interesting with, without saying anything. Pertry definitely conveys the sense that the, the doctor is petulant. Uh, mm. childish and jealous yes and jealous of cliff and i think you can tell this not only by the fact that he leaves the room during the freaking he's a jolly good they're jolly good fellows song yeah. which come on doctor just stick around for a few more minutes you know jo- joe looks with anguish as he departs the room but also like not not only could he have gone to the wedding um he could have given them a lift to the middle yeah. of the amazon where they're, they're trying to find this toadstool that's going to feed all of humanity. Like, maybe that's your, in your wheelhouse, Doctor? Yeah, save some plane fears there. Yeah, <laughs> do it, man. 
be, you know, it'd be a wedding gift for them. It would cost you nothing. You've got the TARDIS figured out. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it, it just seems like kind of sour grapes from the Doctor there. It's a little weird. And totally. then and then he goes and meets Sarah Jane, which is like the ultimate rebound. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Sarah was supposed to be her re- his rebound girl and ended up yeah. staying with her forever. Yeah. Um, I wonder, you almost get the feeling like maybe during that summer. <laughs> there was there was some other shorter term companion <laughs> that he just sort of ended up ditching on the moon or something. <laughs> yeah, we we never talk about her. We never talk. Yeah. We just yeah. Someone's got to write just, the big finish. <laughs> don't look too closely at the sea of tranquility. That's all I'm going to say. Uh, so about yeah. Joe herself as as a character in this episode. Mm. Look, I got to say, Katie Manning is great. She definitely knows the role by now, and she's always appealing. Um, and she she has a lot of lines. She she does a lot of things mm. in this episode. But I will say, apart from like her um, headstrongness in episode one and two, and being versatile with the mine and go being ready to go down with Bert, I honestly gotta say I don't think this is a great episode for Joe because they no. in her sort of several meet cutes with Cliff, I think they play up a little too much. Joe's a klutz and. Joe's a little ditzy and doesn't even realize that this is the guy that she's here to see. Uh, and it, there's there's just not enough like of her taking command and actually doing things mm-hmm. that, you know, really make a difference in the story. And I kind of wish she had like, even though there's six episodes of it, she's kind of, you know, she's in peril at one point because she kind of stupidly tries to go get another maggot because she feels bad about destroying his, Cliff's experiment. Yeah. She it, takes a little cat carrier to go get a maggot. It's yeah, a little just, wicker basket cat carrier. I kind of wanted in her last episode to have sort of a, at least one scene where I'm kind of cheering her on mm. and you go girl or something like that. But I never really came. Even though, even though like she has zero agency, but she also saves the day by accidentally oh, but, spilling yeah. mushrooms on the professor's slides. And like, they give she's her credit responsible. for that. But it is like... It's it's all written so that she didn't actually do anything, right? It's just Joe's yeah. plots, but somehow she found it out. So it's like, okay. And the only reason we know is that uh, Cliff says serendipity, right? right? That when, when he's got his, he's getting his green death on and he can only blurt out one word <laughs> and what he says is serendipity. And this eventually turns out to mean that when you spilled those mushrooms on the slides, it was a very penicillin-esque moment accidental scientific discovery that right. the mushroom spores kill uh the the maggots so thereby solving the maggot problem is there another word you'd use rather than serendipity to say that like you know <laughs> penicillin think, maybe or slides spillage i think this uh, is when you know this is an era when you know people couldn't just look up any word anytime on a any device in their pocket so i think it was probably like as an educational thing for kids i thought it was probably pretty interesting like it was probably brand new for them also well, his, he, his brain, thing. he was delirious all right like, he, he was delirious and somehow serendipity is the first word he reaches for it right. i know when i have a fever that's the first thing that pops into my head but <laughs> i'm gonna blow your mind pete oh katie dude. manning in the uh, shortly after she left doctor who katie manning hosted a bbc show called serendipity no way yes you can look wow. it up Yes, so I think our randomizer was responsible for that. <laughs> <laughs> but if if you sort of take the this is set in 1980 thing to its logical conclusion, oh. it could be that Cliff is trying to say that that 
that Joe reminds him of the girl who used to present that TV show, Serendipity, uh, all those years ago, in 1974. (laughs) Nice. I like that. Yeah. I don't don't know if any clips exist of it, but apparently it was a show where people did like arts and crafts. So it was like a Great British Bake Off in in, uh, prototype in the 70s. Um, Prizes of 10 pounds. (laughs) yes a gift voucher and no prize um yeah so well Well, speaking of whatever is the opposite of serendipity yes what was going through the doctor's head when he took that egg (laughs) and brought it back to the nut hutch and he just expected it to not hatch like they would just yeah. it's, it, all right we'll just leave it in the closet or the no it doesn't even put it in the closet there's no containment for this thing whatsoever he just grabs an egg all right we'll leave it over here and i'm sure it'll be fine <laughs> yeah you, you, the doctor has seen enough eggs hatch into evil things in his time you, you'd, you'd think he would be wise to their trick by now yeah <laughs> or uh, anyone with an elementary understanding of biology i mean yes yeah I, there's a there's a couple of like like you know, I know Joe's a klutz in this episode, but mm-hmm. I mean, Doctor, come on, that that one was probably worse than all the spilling of any, you know, mushroom substance on anything yeah. else. Uh, Particularly as later house. on, you know, by that t- later on, he's like, oh, they're, they're all pupating; they're all going to turn into giant flies. That's right. why we must destroy this threat. So he's got that concept of pupation, but just not the the very basic concept of eggs uh, hatching. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which is, you know, come on, it's Chekhov's egg. Of course it's going to hatch. Um, <laughs> but so we were, we were speaking of the, of the 1970s and if, you know, let, let, let's talk a little bit about the, the contemporary political scene. Okay. That this episode reflects. I mean, obviously it was uh, a, a, a reference to the concern of the 1970s. Um, and I think Barry, Barry Letts even read some sort of pamphlet, some sort of ecology pamphlet that inspired the nut hutch and the, the whole concept of, you know, sort of trying to save the world with mushrooms yeah. rather than meat. Yeah. Definitely, um, definitely early environmental movement. Uh, it also, obvious ones. Yeah. There are so many surprising political references. First of all, the, the scene at the start where the, the CEO of global chemicals is waving a piece of paper saying, you know, peace in our time, basically it's a mm-hmm. reference to, to Chamberlain and the famous disastrous yeah. meeting with Hitler. Uh, you know, jobs in our time or whatever it Wealth is. Wealth in he our says. time, I think. Wealth in our time. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's obviously a sly political reference. Also sly, which, you know, 99% of viewers watching it today will not get, is when the, the Brigadier and uh, Stevens have their big dogging over who knows someone higher up in the government. Is it me or is it you? Uh, you know, and you know, the Briggs like, oh, I know the Minister of Ecology. And, and Stephen's like, well, yeah, I know the Prime Minister. Um, the Prime Minister is called Jeremy. Right. And the Minister of Ecology hands him the phone. First of all, the Minister of Ecology needs to do a sustainability report stat on that toupee he's wearing. Um, <laughs> but also, he hands the phone to Jeremy. And Jeremy would have been recognized by anyone in the early 1970s as Jeremy Thorpe. Okay. The leader, leader of the Liberal Party, which, unlike in Canada, our Liberal Party has not been in power for about 100 years. Um, <laughs> so it was very surprising. But in the early 70s, Jeremy Thorpe was kind of the rising star. He'd won a few by-elections. He was sort of, you know, people were sort of talking seriously about whether he might be part of a coalition. In fact, I think Edward Heath, the Prime Minister at the time, asked 
uh, Jeremy to be in a coalition with him. So the thought about whether he could be prime minister, you know, is very much on people's minds. Um, and there he is. And I, I don't know if you've ever seen a, a recent series actually written by Russell T. Davies, uh, starring Hugh Grant, called A Very English Scandal. Oh, no, which I've is heard about, of this. I haven't seen it. Yeah. It's really good. I recommend mm. it to everyone. It's about the, 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 the rent boy slash murder scandal that Jeremy Thorpe was then caught up in that ended his political hopes. Uh, oh, and Thorpe being played by Hugh Grant in this, who Hugh Grant, of course, goes on to play the Prime Minister in uh, <laughs> Love Actually. So it's it all comes back around. Um, but yeah, it's sort of like, I love it when Doctor Who just drops those little timely references in right. as Easter eggs for the future. Yeah, there's we'll there's a lot of only um, hatch years later. <laughs> yeah, a lot of ink's been spilled about like what the um, political sequence, I guess, in Doctor Who and how that compares with like the real world. Because I know there's always been certainly in New Who. There's like when when's Harriet Jones prime minister, and then mm-hmm. there's uh, when was the Master prime minister, et cetera, and all those things. Um, I don't know. I feel like in this case. I could go either way. It's it's kind of a clever reference to contemporary politics, but it's also like, well, he never was prime minister. And hmm. does that then make, you know, does it, does it make it less resonant because then that's like clearly like some alternate universe or, or whatever. Um, also like it, does it, does it arguably reveal a bias on the part of the filmmakers? Do they want, were they, were they as they say, keen on him to be, uh, to be prime minister um, hmm. and hoping, hoping the broadcast would, you know, cement that. And then that sort of like, you know, it's a little kind of that kind of thought. There's a little bit of a bad taste in your mouth to throwing like biases in there, political ones anyway. Um, yeah, but it's so. it's kind of it's it's not. I mean, the, the fact that there are minors in this uh, who true, true, you know, right. need jobs is very interesting. The fact that the brigadier says, you know, we need cheap oil and lots yeah. of cheap petrol, cheap petrol and lots of it. Uh, yeah. Again, brig being an asshole from from a modern <laughs> perspective. Well, you know, uh, like again, it, to 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 the point of everything about politics. Yes, this is a very political episode, right? So, like, mm. I guess it's maybe makes some sense to to make a reference to something in the real world. So, certainly mm. not naive to think that oh, there's there's obviously a statement being made here, and there's politics. It's very by the number politics, so that's not bad. Mm. Um, it's fine, and it's also again, this is early environmental movement. This is the seventies. This was probably mm. this this kind of idea about these sort of edgy nut hutch types. Um, taking down a global a company called Global Chemicals, which sounds like insurmountable and extremely powerful, you know, it was probably a, a kind of an ed, like edgy idea at the time. Even though now, I, I it's like, of course, it's like this is like every environmental. This is like Avatar, yeah. you know, like it's the, the everyone's done it. Yeah, everyone's done it now. But I love that you could make a description of the Green Death, like you know, the the job, doctor joins a groovy hippie commune. You know, and uh, <laughs> works out how to save the planet while, you know, from an evil company that's trying to make us use oil. Like, you know, these days you could use a description of that episode, and like, you know, certain fans would go out and complain about how woke it was. Right. Oh, Doctor Who's getting too damn woke, uh, which is a common complaint in in the Jodie Whittaker era, of course. Uh, but here, here it is. Here's the Pertwee era come to prove to all of you woke complainers that. The doctor's pretty much always been woke. Well, uh, he was pretty groovy in the sixties. He was, he got really groovier in the seventies, uh, especially when he went and joined the Nut Hutch. Yeah, I mean, I, I, first of all, I just kind of despise the word woke for a lot of reasons, yeah. and yep. it's like, 
like I, I think that that word sort of has come to mean something more about contemporary politics than anything in the. Mm. But, but to say that the doctor has never taken a stand politically one way or the other is, is obviously erroneous. And that mm. coming back, going back here, like, no, like, I, I don't think I don't think you're necessarily like anti-capitalist to say that, you know, we there needs to be some balance yeah. in whatever's going on. And, you know, especially if you say like, you know, these these a company like Global Chemicals should not have carte blanche, which the prime minister and everyone seem to be eager to give them, you know. So mm-hmm. if if he's the guy that's like, let's get some sense in this, like, I think you can support that without necessarily saying I support everything about leftist politics in the seventies, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. so I think I think it's it's okay for to to as a viewer not necessarily feel like you forced into taking like some extreme position either way, but to to sort of recognize here that that um, that there there's a uh, there, there's a clear sort of good guy and bad guy, but for not necessarily all political reasons. Um, well, it's kind of you know spe- speaking of seventies political references, the fact that miners are in this at all, yeah, makes it makes it very seventies. There there was a miners' strike in nineteen seventy four, a very very bad one that basically forced the government out of power. Um, you know, Ted Heath went to the country with the question of who governs, me or the miners, and the country turned around and said uh, the miners. Um, <laughs> you know. And basically threw him out of office. So, uh, you know, it was very contentious to even feature miners in the show. And then to to take it a step further, you know, it's not, not even necessarily a very leftist position to say that, that the miners should be looking at different jobs that doesn't involve digging coal out of the ground. Right. Uh, you know, perhaps you can help save the world with mushrooms. Uh, that, that was very edgy daring stuff in an era where ecology wasn't necessarily a left or right issue if anything it was a mm-hmm. it was a right issue you know uh it was nixon who started the epa right it was uh teddy roosevelt who who was the, the first great conversationalist it had always been a republican issue in the u.s and kind of similar in the uk so you know you can see this sort of drawing interest from all ends of the political spectrum and i can sure there are a lot of people at the time who said oh you know the doctor's getting just too political in general, and uh, right. you know we we've seen enough about miners on the news. We don't need to see them being the heroes or the the victims in this show. Yeah, yeah, I hear you, and I think um, there might have been even a little bit of a not necessarily a streak, but I'm not I'm not trying to di- try to direct line between this and Carnival of Monsters, but there was mm. more activist doctor, I guess I would say in this yeah. season because carnival of monsters obviously had sort of it was a bit of a dig at zoos and um mm. you know uh, not necessarily animal rights or whatever but this idea that you know these these people controlling these miniaturized versions of people were just capitalists really and um you know not really realizing like the the, the bad morality of what they were doing um and again you could even see it throughout like even go back even further to like what was that one? Um, I don't know. It was Colony in Space. There was a bu- there was a bunch of these throughout the Pertwee era. Mm-hmm. So um, there's 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 definitely like not that it's bad that it keeps sort of returning to similar themes because it's a it's not saying playing the same tune. It's just variations on a tune. Um, so I could see it's sort of that being a criticism of the era. But you know, it all kind of it all kind of works, man. I don't know. There's 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 issues here, and I think it's it's not. Uh, it's not hard to to I guess enjoy it um, without necessarily like 
um, buying into uh, you know whatever narrative someone wants to put you into. Yeah. Um, it's it's a layer of interest. The end? What did, yeah, it is. What, what do you think of the resolution at the end where you know Global Chemicals is basically blown up, completely shut down? But not only that, the Nut Hutch becomes the new boss in town, which sounds fun. Not you know not the boss, but you know they they get all the funding from Joe's uncle who at the UN or whatever. Mm. It, it seemed a little too neat. Again, sort of interesting from from randomizer perspective to come here from our last Joe story being the first Joe story, uh, Terror of the Autons, which is the only other time uh, which she references here that she used right. her uncle at the UN's influence. Um, no, I, I kind of bought it. It didn't it didn't seem too cheesy to me. I, I like the the sort of the happy ending nature of it, even if of course the the research work of the Nuthatch is never ever mentioned again. Right, you know, we we have a sort of the problem of Doctor Who, right? You know, you have these wonderful world-changing events that happen, and then are just sort of dropped. Right. Um, it would be it would be that. funny if if they made a few references to like, you know, fungus meat here yeah. and there throughout the rest of the series. I'd even take it in New Who, in the same way that yeah. Magpie Electricals became the yes. electronics provider in Doctor Who, New Who. Um, yeah, wouldn't wouldn't mind seeing more references to the whatever company uh, emerges maybe, out of Cliff's fungus research. Maybe Clara's diner, that's also her and me's oh. TARDIS, could be serving mushroom burgers. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, That'd be cool. Yeah, I thought it was yeah. fine. Um, I mean, actually, I, I thought it was a bit cheesy until they brought up Joe's uncle. It's like, oh, okay, I guess you could mm. do that. And since, again, like you say, they've only played that card twice. It's like. I'll, I'll let you do it. It's fine. You yeah. know, as far as a, a thing they, um, you know, don't do too often. So one more interesting thing. So apparently Katie Manning was engaged um, to the gentleman who, who plays Cliff Jones um, uh-huh. and <clears throat> Stuart Bevan, I guess is his name. Mm-hmm. And, but they separated a year later and, mm-hmm. Uh, but apparently it, it was amicable uh, because they did repi- reprise their roles, which is kind of a neat little bonus to this for a couple of um, promotional clips for yeah. the DVD release of the past couple of years. So there was the 2019 season 10 release. Um, and there was a little thing they did where uh, the, so the season was released and they, they basically go back to the nut hutch and for whatever reason, there's a uh, the house has some maggots in it because of course you got to get the monsters, and the, mm-hmm. uh, all the t- Chris, you they they improved those little mouths. They weren't so cute anymore. They were bigger mouthed um, maggots, <laughs> which they then um, ended up. I think they 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 the implication is they used flamethrowers on them. I don't know. Basically, they <laughs> they throw down with the maggots, kill them all, uh, and you should buy some DVDs. Um, <laughs> So that was fun, but then they did it again for even like the season eight where they did mm-hmm. the stuff with the autons, which we commented on at the time, those creepy, creepy, creepy guys with the masks and the daffodils. Mm-hmm. And they even make a reference. It's actually a very knowing in-character reference by Cliff where he's like, can you believe they're making plastic flowers? This is terrible environmentally. You know, like, And she's like, where did you get that? No. It's happening again, you know. It's like all this super fun stuff, but I love that they got the same actors, and I also love that like it's like it's basically like you know I, I'll, I'm happy with that being canonical. I'll, I'll take yeah. that in in the universe. 
Yeah, and the, the setting in Wales not only reminds us of uh, Doctor Who's eventual home in Cardiff, but uh, but yeah, also the, the daffodils from Terror of the Autons, very much known as a, as a Welsh flower, uh, very much associated. Oh, wow. Did we say that at the time? I don't know if I knew that. No. The Welsh no, daffodils. So, yeah, the Welsh, Welsh daffodils, yes. Yes, and I, I love that they have... Uh, they have the name of of uh, is it the milkman? He's he's like Jones the milk, which is a very Welsh thing to say. You know, <laughs> so many people have the same name that you describe what they do. Yeah. You know, dye dye the bread. Uh, as, uh, Dylan Thomas has it in his wonderful wonderful poem under Milkwood. Well, if everybody um, has the same name, you might as well call them Boyo, right? Exactly. Speaking of saying names, did you notice that there's one unit soldier called Stevens? There's just called Stevens, which is super confusing. Oh, really? and the CEO of Global Chemicals is called Stevens. Like, just just write a different, you know. <laughs> so one of the things that made me feel like Robert Sloman was was asleep at the wheel as a writer. Like, just change the name of the damn soldier so you're not confusing us. <laughs> Don't say Stevens. Don't say Stevens. Yeah. Uh, Stevens. Uh, Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, they're, oh, they're pretty cookie cutter anyway, so... Whatever. Mm-hmm. I also I pretty gotta much. say the thugs at Global Chemicals are pretty uh, cookie cutter. Um, the thugs in like secondaries, they're all like it's just another guy in a power suit that just sort of walks around, and most of them are unmemorable except for that first guy who gets throws himself off a scaffolding because he was ordered to yeah. self destruct by the boss, which is button nine. I don't know if that's yeah. a reference to something, but I do. It's, we don't. This got me to think about though. This is a weird, weird. Just my brain. There is a scene in Scrooged where oh, the Bill boy. Murray movie, right? Yep. Where they're like, he, he basically fires uh, the Bobcat Goldthwait character. This is early mm-hmm. in the movie. Mm-hmm. And his secretary just picks up the phone and says, Code 9. Code 9. <laughs> That's got, code 9 is like, throw him out on his ass and he's done. Uh-huh. So I feel like 9 is like the thing, the button you press when you want to do something bad to somebody. Uh, maybe that's a trope. I don't know. That could be just me. Uh, I wonder if it's also a Beatles reference. Uh, the number nine uh, keeps referring, uh, recurring through John Lennon's life, and uh, he made reference of it in Revolution Number Nine on the White Album. Mm. Uh, sorry, I'm, I'm getting into Beatles geek mode. No, it's okay. This because, is uh, this is the weird references yeah. part of the podcast, everyone. <laughs> so expect a few more. Yes, and also the Beatles get back is is just uh, infecting my brain at the moment. That whole Peter Jackson yeah. trilogy. One thing I do want to pick at, by the way, yeah. with the Global Chemicals guys. So they kill that guy by hitting button nine, and he has to throw himself off. Mm. There's a little later. It's like I think it's actually the climax of episode five, where Yates is found out to be sort of free of their influence, and they kill the guy he's talking to. But it just sort of randomly happens. Like he just kind of dies, right? It's like something happens to his brain, and then. Stevens walks out. It's like, oh, you can't rely on anybody. It's some some evil line, and um, it's like, wait a minute, you could just like hit a button and just kill him, like right then and there. Like, why didn't you do that to the other guy? And also, come to think of it, why didn't you do that to Yates or anyone? Like, what is this sudden magical? Like, I can just kill people instantly. Power. That's amazing. Um, yeah. And it's. I, I felt like it. It was just kind of this lazy bit of writing. They didn't figure out like how they were gonna kill him and they didn't want to do something super violent like shooting him so it was like they just have him suddenly die and it's like oh okay that's 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 new that's a new power yeah, yeah. stevens in general is not you know he's no stallman yeah compare this to inferno True. uh even I mean, though this sort of this episode wants to be inferno the story wants to be inferno in some ways well there's green uh, stuff they, 
this green stuff on green. hands. <laughs> I have to say that the green special effect on hands has come a long way in those three years. <laughs> has it though? Between... <laughs> it's, not, it's not neon. Yeah. It got neon, yeah. which is so much better than the sort of the, the kids' watercolor set version of green that we. I have don't know. I, I like classic green. <laughs> Doctor Who. <laughs> Yeah, you're like if, if the special effects going to be bad, let's make it really bad. Yeah, it, the, yeah. The, where where the green regenerated, I didn't I didn't land there quite so quite so much. I'm, uh, yeah, mm. I like those old episodes. But yeah, it's definitely there's green. Uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of reflections uh, or again variations on a tune here from Inferno with the threat with Stevens and Stallman. Uh, just the general sort of project slash corporation that no one can seem to stop until mm. something goes super disastrously wrong. That um, has the backing of the British government because we need cheap petrol and lots of it. Indeed. We need that mm. energy crisis solved, guys, because it's a crisis mm -hmm. and it's never, never going to end. <laughs> and also, I mean, there's this weird subplot with the the marketing guy kind of slowly comes to realize that the other suit, the, the bald-headed guy whose name was completely forgettable, yeah. uh, is is some sort of automaton. And he doesn't realize this immediately, of course, because I guess in the corporate world, everyone just talks like that anyway in a monotone. Yeah, well, it's kind of one of those things where even if you realize it, like, what do you do? It's, I didn't mind <laughs> that so much because it's like that guy was a little more memorable. But it's yeah. also like not only is he waking up that this guy's controlled, like he's starting to wake up like, wow, I work for an evil corporation. Like, what's going on? There's waste products, people killing each other. We're lying about things. This seems, I don't, this is not good. Like they, uh, <laughs> I've sold out, man. I mean, yeah. you, you, see, you definitely see that marketing guy having been a hippie four years earlier. And in that right, scene I mean, where I think the doctor and Joe are climbing up the pipe when mm. they, they, they have that confrontation over what, cause you got to get the, the door open. There's another bit where it's like, Oh, like here's these people in the pipe. Cause we have cameras in the pipes. Obviously yeah. that's what you would do just all over. Yeah, we just know. Yeah, yeah, just just in case people climb up out of it. Uh, yeah. yeah, or maggots climb up out of it as they do. Uh, yeah, yeah. They, well, anyway, that's why the maggots few... just didn't work. Well, this is the thing. Like, I think a lot of the stuff that we like about the episode, you could mm. take it, package mm -hmm. it into four episodes. Yes, cut out some of this stuff that doesn't make sense. Some of these extraneous characters, and certainly a lot of those going up and down the mine shaft effects, which were mm -hmm. absolutely horrible. I was watching this with my son and he laughed out loud at the sight of the first like CSO when they're kind of going down in the mine shaft. Uh, it was just so bad. Um, so, and you they, know. They, they, it's the one where the doctor's driving as well. And it cuts back and forth between the CSO and natural film of yeah. him driving. It's kind of so obvious. And there's kinda, even a model. Yeah. There's a model Bessie with a model doctor in it. That is so obvious. Yeah, you kind of want you like it's one of those times where you might as well just do super close ups of the faces and mm. just, you know, have them just down in the 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 cavern at one point and you know, once they get there, there's still some bad stuff with the maggots. I mean, yeah. again, I don't hate the maggots themselves. I just feel like when they're kind of like especially when the doctor and Joe are row 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 your boating past like yeah. walls of maggots, you're like, "Oh, that's that's not good. That's just, yeah. First of all, uh, don't don't watch the Green Death while eating. Yeah. Um, just the, if you have any sort of uh, squeamishness about thinking about maggots while while you're chowing down on a sandwich, uh, that may or may not have vegetables in it. Maybe just don't uh, don't combine the two. You know, if they uh, really wanted to play it for laughs, they could have had the doctor offer Joe 
a, a biscuit or something while they're there. Would you like a biscuit uh, while we're here? No, you're good. Okay. We'll just keep going. <laughs> oh. yeah. Would you like this cookie filled with raisins while you're thinking about maggots? Um, yeah. yeah, I think that would be good. I mean, it's it's sort of, you know, we, we, we shouldn't rag on it too much, right? This is definitely still the era of Doctor Who when nobody ever thought we'd be watching Doctor Who again, and certainly not this many yeah. years later. Well, again, uh, we, we've defended the bad effects before. We 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 kid, yeah. we kid the Green Death again. I think we haven't been ragging too hard on the episode itself. So I think this is I, generally I come out pretty in favor of it, even though it is a bit too long. There's not enough good stuff here, and it does, like you say, like it it's bold enough to to mm. not shy away from the politics, which I respect. Uh, uh, whatever you sort of come down on it, and I think. Um, you know, there's just, like I say, Pertwee's great. Katie Manning is great, even though she doesn't have nearly enough agency in it. I like Cliff. I mean, I didn't want to like mm-hmm. him, but he's okay. And he's got those cheekbones. I totally see what oh you're going for goodness. there. Yes. Joe. He's a, he's a hottie. <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised he's not like the, on the cover yeah. of uh, play Playgirls Nobel prize winner issue. Yeah. It's too bad. Uh, unit isn't better treated because they are in it throughout like the brigadier and unit. And like, luckily mm-hmm. Yates is there to kind of save the day for both the story and and their competence but um otherwise i thought yeah this is this is this was fine um in terms of like i, I thumbs up it's a dalek um, <laughs> yeah, all, all the scenes without maggots in are a dalek for me um yeah i i like your idea of a of a green death edit that just takes all, all the maggot stuff out or uh, updated I want- effects with those mm. new mouths from the clip oh yeah <laughs> I think that'd be okay it's just the mouths man they just need better mouths yeah i don't know oh, i wanted more I, I will say i wanted more fly i wanted like like and that's if you were mm. redoing this in modern day with cgi you would have a way better action sequence when they hatch and you might even it would it'd be a bold story choice but have have more than one hatch and have like yeah, a whole bunch maybe. and like it becomes, you know, like the final, like a, you know, final scene in Jurassic, one of the Jurassic Park movies where you're just, you know, doing 20 minutes of cool action uh, that hopefully isn't pure action. And you're doing some some character and story stuff at the same time because those are the best action sequences. But you do want more of that fly. You're waiting for that yeah. thing to happen and you see it and it's like, eh. Oh, it's too bad that they didn't do more of that. <laughs> yeah, if you're going to do it, do it, do it right. I mean, I'm starting to feel... Uh, this this may be a heretical thought in in Doctor Who terms, but I'm starting to feel like it was a mistake that uh, the Daleks uh, came along as early as they did in in uh, the Hartnell run and sort of oh. became so associated with the show because it meant that they got the message that the show has to be filled with monsters, right? Yeah, which we've we've just sort of accepted that years ago, right? That the Doctor Who is about monsters. I think a maggotless version of the Green Death that is more about you know the uh, socio-political business situation uh it would be it would be a wonderful doctor who story it would i mean they get pretty adult in a lot of this like when 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 boss is talking to stevens about nietzsche Mm. it's like oh yes my my little nietzschean superman like oh wow that's gonna make kids (laughs) run to their dictionaries to find out who the hell nietzsche was and and what it's got to do with fascism um it's fascinating fascinating sounds like you're you're You'd love to see sort of an alternate version of the show where it's Dr. Cerebral. <laughs> <laughs> no, yes, I get you. Dr. I get you. Dr. Who, PhD. Yeah. If, if you can't, like, because I think partly, like, the, the maggots are not quite a metaphor, but they're useful in hammering the point home to a point. 
and mm. there if as a as a story element partly because it's six episodes it doesn't need to be they're way overused so yeah uh and you know you the, well I, I don't think i don't rag on them as much uh, about their appearance i do think it is like okay there's a point where as they're they're okay they're not they're not the daleks man so let's <laughs> let's just like let's have them come here and there and let's let's not overdo it so yeah, yeah. i think i take your point i i i I'm, I'm not as i'm not willing to go so far as like let's get rid of the monsters but i do think it is like you there's a point of diminishing returns when by the way when there's one moment you're you're making me think they they should have had less of maggots actually on screen and more people talking about how horrible the maggots look and we Mm -hmm. never actually see them uh which reminded me of doris the cleaning lady running out of the room at one point and say oh horrible it was (laughs) it's something but when when she sees the maggots you gotta see in there mr stevens horrible it was very much reminds me of the uh the woman in uh talons of wing chiang who's kind of, you know, kind of famous for hamming it up when the corpse is dragged from the river and we never see the corpse. We just right. hear her saying, I think the exact same line, horrible it was. <laughs> so this is my proposal. We just edit out all bad monsters from the history of Doctor Who and just insert uh, one actress really chewing up the scenery saying, horrible it was. Huge yeah. eyes. <laughs> <laughs> and you get like a sketch artist. It's like, was this? Yeah. yeah okay. Just go on full on Lovecraftian. You know, we, it could not be described. The horror beyond imagining um, that we can't actually show you. Oh. Better. Okay. You will make All that right. show. <laughs> <laughs> I want monsters, man. I want them. And I do, I will say that Talons of Wing Chiang, as bad as the rat is, it is a better example of not overdoing it. The rat is not in yeah. that much, you know? Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. That, that's why I wonder. So, like, you know, Talons is, is, is justly famous for how bad the rat is. Like, I, I was surprised that, that Green Death, that I'd never heard yeah. of the maggots before now. Uh, oh really? Uh, yeah, yeah. It, mm. it just hadn't filtered through to me. Maybe I just don't. Pay, maybe I filter maggots. out the word maggots when I read it. Well, the maggots aren't necessarily evil; they're just there. But someone is yes. evil here, and we should really yes. think about like what would have happened if this evil plot had succeeded. Yes. So the evil plot is clearly boss's evil plot, right? Right. And the evil plot is to take over. Drum roll, please. Seven computers. Elsewhere <laughs> <laughs> in the world. Well, I mean, you presume they're big computers like him, so they're mainframe things, right? Like in these other places, which, like again, you're like uh, the you got to you really got to correct up for a lot of like it's pre-internet, pre-computer even like you know personal computer how people's understanding of them are. Um, and yeah. he's, he's essentially going to turn all these other global chemical facilities into super corrupt versions of, you know, these capitalists, this, this version of uh, a company throughout the world. And he, there's, there's mention made of slaves. So yeah. there, there's an implication that these companies will, wherever they are, you know, use their corrupt politicians to enslave the human population. Is, um, it, is it that though? Or are they just referring to slave computers? Because master slave... Is is a computer term? No, right? I, I think it. You know, I think in the script, if you're talking about slaves, you're talking about mm. you know, you're enslaving people. Um, so I'm pretty sure that's that they were trying to sort of amp the threat, but it's it's never really clear. Like you know, the, yeah. the, what, like to your point, like what happens? Okay, so you take over these things, and I, that that sort of takes over the world, don't you think? Like 
that's not going to yeah. work. Oh no, the, the world <laughs> has been taken over by uh, ruthless profit-seeking corporations. Yeah. However, will we survive? Yeah, and I feel like if you're the boss and you're trying, and I guess it's inefficient, so maybe that explains it. But if you're taking into mm. account um, all the factors, surely this level of interest slash resistance from things like unit and other organizations is factoring into what you're talking about and like well is that really efficient you know are are you you know with, with getting good profits from what's actually going on in landfair fact because i feel like you're not as profitable now that all this stuff's attention on you and all this stuff's happening so maybe don't do what you're doing maybe yeah he really being, uh... being plain legit and playing the Right would be the way to actually get more profits for global chemicals. Uh, right, so just exactly. Throwing that just, out there, boss. Just, just work under the radar. Maybe spend your time focusing on music instead of being on the golf course, and you'll be indistinguishable from other yeah. CEOs. Um, yeah, he, he. I mean, he is young. Bless him, boss. Yeah, He's true. only recently come into existence, so he doesn't know that you're supposed to explain your evil plot to the doctor. True. You know, uh, just so everything could be quite clear. Uh, you know, if only if only he had like a Davros to mentor him or something. Yeah, well, he. Yeah. I will say he was really good at branding. Boss man, <laughs> that stuck with me forever. The global really, chemicals is, is apparently they decided on global chemicals because they didn't think a company already existed called Global Chemicals. Yeah. I think they 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 were going to do United Chemicals or some other variation some other on, on the word, but then yeah. once it was novelized, they did some more research and there was a global chemical somewhere. So in the novel, <laughs> I forget the name, but it's a different name than, than global chemicals when they novelized. Yeah. It. Um, yeah. So. The, the novelization definitely fills in a lot of gaps. So, so the evil plot, I, I hope we're not really sure on what happens if it succeeds. It's just sort of basically we get a world that looks like the world now, uh, except there's one less blown up global <laughs> chemicals plant in it. Uh, which, by the way, would cause its own environmental devastation. Thank you very much, Doctor. Um, True. And uh, yeah, so so what what I really hope is that it is um, that it involves more of those nifty headphones. Oh yeah, being placed on its slaves. Those I, are super cool. I want one of those. So it looks like like the, you know a Bang and Hol- Olufsen headset from from the era yes. or something like that. It looked it looked pretty hot. Like, and I think when you put it on. You can be an understudy for Lobot in The Empire Strikes Back anytime you want. So those headphones again, because because I watched, I was so curious about the crystal. I had to watch episode one of Planet of Spiders. Um, those headphones, those exact headphones, are reused in Planet of Spiders. Oh, when that the psychic guy, yes, doing, yes, I remember this now. Okay, wow, the same headphones. That's hilarious. Same headphones. So I wonder you know, who got little, to take those home. Of, I wonder if Barry Lett survives. Someone got those headphones, so they, they're they're in someone's you know house, you know. That so their kids inherited them. I'm sure someone got them because those look like sort of real deal, like pro. Okay, I'm a '70s DJ, and yes, this is, this is what my thing. Wow, that's awesome. Doesn't that sound like a great new Who episode though? To uh, to you know, some kid gets gets those headphones and thinks they look super cool and starts wearing them. And then all of a sudden everyone's wearing those headphones. The Cyberman passes actually, by. Where did you get Exactly. <laughs> so it sounds very Age of Steel, doesn't yeah. it? Um, yeah. So, well, I think we've... Oh, you know what else? We Our, our new segment that we mm-hmm. haven't yet uh, considered. Where is Splinter Clara? Right. 
That's a good question. What what sort of fortuitously happens to them at some point yes. that uh, you is can't she, otherwise explain? Is she down the mine shaft? Um, maybe. I, sure. I'm more like I think she's one of the people in the nut hutch, and mm. at some point, I think she probably is like switching the vials in cliff's lab so that when joe yeah. spills them that she spills the mm-hmm. exact right fungus mm-hmm. on those samples to cure cliff and kill the maggots that's my guess maybe maybe clara appears throughout joe's timeline as well to make sure that she's just generally klutzy <laughs> uh, it could be it so that it will who, reach who this is, um, there's there's like a couple of people in the nut hutch that he introduces I think one's Nancy, right? Maybe, maybe Clara's Nancy. Yeah, yeah, it could be, could be. I mean, they they've got. It, it's wonderful they introduce all these scientists in the scene where you know one of them's doing meditation, one of them's doing yoga, and they're they're all doing things that are supposed to be freaky but look sort of perfectly normal to us now. Yeah, <laughs> yoga, man. What? That is so weird. <laughs> Crazy. <laughs> Again, not to not to talk about Planet of Spiders too much because we will get there eventually. But the the big the big threat in episode one of Planet of Spiders is meditation. <laughs> <laughs> There's some People belly dancers going meditation. on there too. Oh my goodness! Yeah. So I have we? Damn! <laughs> oh, that's that's eighties sorcery. All right, we'll get there soon enough with Mel. Off to one side, <laughs> doing the jazzercise. Um, so, I think we have exhausted the Green Death. I think we've we've talked the Green Death to death. Yes, we have, um, we've flushed it all down into the mine now. And we are <laughs> moving on. We need to activate the randomizer to find out where we're going next, Chris. Can you uh, tell everyone who's listening what the randomizer is and what we're doing here? Sure. Well, as you know, on Pull to Open, we watch all of Doctor Who, all of it in random order. We're watching discrete stories. We've made a list of what we think those discrete stories are, which slightly varies from the official Doctor Who list because we combined and separated a few um, uh, for our own purposes. And uh, we have what's called the Codex, which is a full database of all of those 297 stories, not yet including Flux, the 298th, because uh, it isn't finished yet, so we can't go there. It's time-locked. I, I will add that if you want to see the Codex, it's uh, usually linked yeah. in the show notes. So if you want to have a quick look at oh, it is. how we have numbered the stories... Um, I, I didn't yeah. realize that the people people were looking at it. I, yeah. I, I should spruce the thing no, it's, up. It's got uh, <laughs> viewable by anyone on the internet, which uh, oh my is goodness. one of these great technologies. You, have I, you can check it out I'd, I'd where been... we... Where we've combined things. I, I've been coloring the lines differently for when we'd actually watched them. I kind of abandoned that uh, several shows ago, so I, I feel like I need to go. <laughs> oh no, I've been, I've been keeping up the codex, Chris. Oh, you've been you've been I keeping know, it I've up. Oh, I appreciate it. it. It's all right. I got you. Thank you. I, I got a, you. As uh, bad codex owner, um, and then we use the executor to decide where we go next, and that the executor, the part of the executor, is played by random.org, which is a website that will not produce pseudo-random numbers, which is what computers usually do. They're terrible at actual randomness. They just use algorithms. Um, and uh, it does true randomness using atmospheric noise. Um, and you can go to random.org yourself. We're, random.org, we're still looking for um, sponsorship, by the way. Um, <laughs> and uh, come up with any random number generator that you need for anything, a lottery, a, a dice roll, 
whatever it is, uh, coin flipper. They, they have it up, random.org super fans. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. And also, by the way, step up BritBox because uh, we're, we're going to start talking about the, the issues with BritBox uh, watching it on Apple TV, especially. I, oh, wow. Do you have num- the dialogue issues? number too? of issues. Do you have the audio I, out, think? No, I, uh, I have a different issue. Probably which a is higher TV it, issue. When I go back to the episode, it starts playing the next episode instead. Oh. If I've, if I've abandoned the episode in the middle, as is often the case for Classic Who. Um, anyway. Call us Britbox, call us. Um, <laughs> and we won't talk about that anymore. All right, so I'm ready. I have right. the code. The, uh, you have the codex. I have random.org. I have the executor. And I have the Min countdown. One. Max 297. I'm ready to hit the generate button. All right, here so we go. Count me down. Let's do it in three, mm. two, one. Fantastic. 198. Oh, my. I think we're late. This might be new. Who? Hold on. Hold on. It is new who we are at midnight. Oh, okay. Very interesting. All a right. Stephen Moffat episode. If I recall correctly, uh, could be that he wrote yeah, it. I can't remember. He, but I, I remember this because I, I have in fact been like a nerd reading old doctor who magazines. And, uh, when, when, uh, Moffat was given his first award for, uh, blink, like I, I think you know, Blink and the Empty Child, Doctor Dancers had come up in the the top ten, and they asked him how he felt about this, and of course, being Moffat, he made a joke about of it, uh, out of it, which yeah. was where's midnight? <laughs> <laughs> midnight, so yeah. The, this is a uh, this is one of the interesting. There's there's like a I remember at the end of the season there's a no Donna episode and a no Doctor episode, mm, and this is the no Donna mm. episode. Like everybody, like both of them, I guess, wanted a break. <laughs> yeah right this is the equivalent of turn left that that no one actually remembers yeah. people remember the dr light episodes they don't which which just sort of kind of goes nicely with the, the whole metabolis three side quest thing not being as interesting as as joe's story hmm. at, at the nut hutch yeah yeah like, you know yeah, yeah so maybe maybe that's the reference that that's the, the pattern that the randomizer is trying to make. Uh, we'll we'll find out more right. next time. And we forgot to challenge the randomizer, by the way. We wanted oh, to get shoot. so far into it. We were going to challenge it, but that's okay. I like I like <laughs> this one. I was going to challenge it with a Christmas do something because it is the season right now as we're recording this. We're yes. just sort of December, but I know this one has some ice in it. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> that's wintry. So close. Enough. There we go. I was going to challenge it to come up with a uh, a Dalek cereal because once yes. again we should note just how Dalek free, how suspiciously Dalek free the, uh, the randomizer has been. It's a little um, weird. I'm a little nervous. Yeah. We we have not even had one proper Dalek episode. We've only had like Daleks in Day of the Doctor so far. So Day of the Doctor, which yep. is was that's, the really randomizer it, yeah. being clever and giving us the most Dalek filled episode, uh, yeah. technically. Um, but yeah, no, no, no actual of the Daleks, no, no story with a Dalek in the title, uh, no chase, no nothing. No, nothing. Um, We'll get there. We'll get there. I, I, for in, in the new year, (laughs) (laughs) sometime in the next 30, some (laughs) selections, randomizer, I guess do a Dalek episode. Yeah. Um, In your own time. No rush. And in your own time. It's only the most famous Doctor Who monster. It's okay. It's cool. Yeah, yeah. We know. We know. We know. We know what's behind your evil plot randomizer <laughs> and who's really <laughs> operating you. 
and we will find out someday, but you'll have to join us there some other time because you have reached the end of this episode of Pull to Open. In case you weren't sure, this is a podcast. In case you're encountering us on some other medium or someone's forwarded you some clip. Uh, no, we are a podcast. And if you have not subscribed, please do. Uh, we're available where you find all good podcasts on Apple, Spotify, Breaker, um, anywhere else you might want to find podcasts. We are there. Please subscribe. But also, please leave us a review. We really like reviews. Reviews really do help us um, spread the gospel of us and the randomizer and bolt open to more listeners. So please leave a review. We're not telling you what to leave, but we love those five-star reviews, which actually help even more. Um, follow us also on social. We are super active on TikTok. We're at pull to open on TikTok. Uh, we're also on Twitter and Instagram at pull to open 63, sharing out various things all over the place. Uh, especially some exclusive photos you might find on Instagram here and there from hmm. times we have covered Doctor Who for various publications. So watch our Instagram for that. And we will see you next time when we take on a midnight. Yes, I, I rather imagine it'll be a shorter episode next time. But thanks for sticking around <laughs> for this special length Green Death uh, review. and uh, Where I finally we'll nailed TLDW. I will remind everyone of that. I finally nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. We'll see you next time. <laughs>